This is the Rocky Mountain Review for Thursday, November 5th, 2020. I'm your host, Coda Babcock. And I'm Ivy Winfrey. And you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins. On today's show, Ethan Hansen will be updating you on campus news, and then I'll cover a bit of local news. Later, we'll be hearing from KCSU Assistant Sports Director Jonathan Gillum, and we'll be listening to an interview with Collegiate uh, alum Bill Lane. Then I'll be delivering some national news, and we'll also be hearing from Collegian news reporter Samantha Yee about updates on the Hughes Stadium's ownership. To conclude the show, Coda will be giving some updates on COVID-19, and I'll update us on the strange things happening in the world. Let's move right into campus news with our newscaster, Ethan Hansen. This is Ethan Hansen of KCSU Fort Collins reporting the news for... This year, a team of engineering researchers from Colorado State University submitted a policy brief, which was accepted, for the Think-20's Climate Change and Environment Task Force. The Think-20, commonly known as the T-20, Task Force is the global think tank which generates ideas for the G-20 community, where the world's largest 20 economies, hosted virtually by Saudi Arabia, convened to discuss key policies for the global economy. According to Source CSU, quote, their report details ways to reduce emissions through transportation technology and policies, end quote. The report was authored by Woodward Professor and Chair of the Department of System Engineering in the Walter Scott Jr. College of Engineering, Thomas Bradley, Professor of System Engineering, Tim Coburn, as well as CSU Triple Engineering alumnus and Senior Manager of Market and Industry Analysis at CalSTART, Baja al Alway. The plan emphasizes, quote, economic benefits of transportation within environmental goals, end quote, Bradley explained. The recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic is the perfect time to align economic redevelopment and climate change to create a cleaner and better planet in a shorter time frame than was previously imagined, the team noted in their report. On November 9, from 7 to 8 p.m., the College of Liberal Arts is holding the Election 2020 in Review Q&A session with panelists from the Department of Political Science at CSU. Three panelists answering questions are Dr. Robert Duffy, Dr. Courtney Dam, and Dr. Kyle Saunders of the Department of Political Science. Quote, at this important moment in American politics, we hope to be able to put the results of this important election in context, end quote, said Duffy. This is Ethan Hansen from KCSU Fort Collins. For more local and university news, tune in from 4 to 5 p.m. Tuesdays and Thursdays for the Rocky Mountain Review. Hello, I'm Ivy Winfrey, and again, you're listening to 90.5 KCSU, Here now for your local news. The city of Fort Collins has launched a new program called Virtue Visit, which aims to reduce the impact of social isolation for older adults, according to Stephen Bonifazi at North 40 News. Many older adults have become isolated due to precautions regarding the COVID-19 pandemic, and Virtue Visit is how the city of Fort Collins is working to solve that. The city staff is seeking program participants to leverage technology to aid seniors in maintaining relationships with their family and friends while also safely engaging with the community. Virtue Visit works to connect isolated older adults to family, friends, and volunteers to help in supporting them. The program comes at no cost and provides seniors with user-friendly digital tablets in addition to startup support from trained volunteers. Each senior who participates in the new program will be paired with a volunteer who will teach them how to use the tablet and connect with others, which will allow them to easily connect for a video call with both family and friends. The only requirements needed to participate in the Virtue Visit program are access to Wi-Fi and a willingness to learn. The program is limited to Fort Collins residents only at this time. To find out more about the program, you can visit fcgov.com slash volunteer slash virtue visit or call 970-224-6177. 
According to a Fort Collins City press release, the city of Fort Collins is encouraging community members leave style signs made of stretchy plastic material like grocery bags can be recycled as a plastic film at the city's Timberline Recycling Center located at 1903 South Timberline Road. Election signs made of cardboard or paperboard can be recycled in your curbside recycling bin or at recycling drop-off locations after removing the metal wicket. Metal sign wickets on all types of signs can be recycled as scrap metal at local scrap metal dealers or taken to the Timberline Recycling Center hard-to-recycle materials yard. There is a $5 entry fee. That's all the news uh, for today. We'll be right back. Wow, that was a sweet sesh, dudes. Now what? I'm not too sure, but we have to get this out there somehow. How about KCSU? Sick, but how do we get them to play our music? Hold on, let's check their website. KCSUFM.com Cool. Well, looks like we have to fill out a form. You just heard a campus newscast from Ethan Hansen and a local newscast from me, Ivy Winfrey. Up next is the RMR Sports Report with Jonathan Gillum, only on 90.5 KCSU. It's John Gillen for KCSU Sports. We've got some quick but big news this evening. The Future Legends Sports Complex. That's right. The giant sports complex that has been built in Windsor or being built in Windsor. We finally have a little bit more official word when it's going to be open. And that's going to be officially open 2022. Next, the CSU Rams are facing... The Wyoming Cowboys in their first home game of the year. The border war is going to be hot tonight. And it brings some interesting questions. Will we see starting quarterback Patrick O'Brien tonight? Or will we see Otiano, who got the start last week against Fresno State? It's a big question. Missing that deep dive into sports, we got two sports shows Every day of the week, Ramblers on Thursday with the Sports Pod on Monday. We've got a CSU pregame show every home game three hours before. And also, we have podcasts, articles, and other content online at kcsufm.com. For KCSU Sports, I'm Jonathan Gillum, and I'll catch you next time. You just heard sports updates from Jonathan Gillum. Up next, we're going to hear an interview I did with Bill Lane, who was a reporter for the Collegian in the 70s. Can you tell me a bit about your career as a photojournalist during college and perhaps after? I started off originally in animal husbandry and then found out I would have to take like four semesters of um, 
physics and soils and the rest, I decided, no, nah, I don't want to do that. So I switched to journalism. The only students that were allowed to take photography were journalism students. So when I took the class, Terry Bishotti was the head photographer, and he wanted a second photographer. He hired me to be a photographer. We got paid like $2 for every photograph that we took that was used, plus ad work. And Terry hated doing ad work because we had to use a five by seven and do multiple copies and white out all the black dots and stuff. So he hated it, but I didn't mind because it left, left me lots of time in the dark room. And I would end up staying till two or three o'clock in the morning because I'd do all my work. We had to have everything done by like 10 o'clock. And then I would spend the rest of the time in the dark room doing my own photos. Probably the biggest <laughs> event in my photography career was when Old Main burned down. And I just had a feeling, so I took three cameras, bag with extra lenses and probably 15 or 20 rolls of film and went over to Old Main and got the first wall collapsing and then pictures of Old Main actually burning. And then the newspaper had an edition that had nothing but pictures of old Maine and all but one were mine. So for me that I felt that was quite a coup to get that many of my pictures in the paper where Terry didn't get any as a head photographer. We had another little incident. Um, Terry's idea, and I'm, I'm not knocking Terry, but his, his idea of taking pictures was just to take one or two shots, regardless of whether they were good or not. And he did a picture of one of the sorority queens and every spring they would elect a queen for that spring. And the woman was probably 4'11", little tiny, petite, blonde, blue-eyed, gorgeous little woman. And he took a picture that made her look ugly. <laughs> and at 6.30 the next morning, got a call from the uh, sorority's attorney and said that they were going to sue the newspaper because of the way this woman was portrayed in this photograph. So he called me and said, you know, you go run this young lady down and you spend all day, she gets a picture that she likes. And then the next day we ran a five by seven on the front page of the newspaper with an apology dictated by the attorney. And it took me till I don't know, 9.30 at night. And she said, I just can't make up my mind. You just pick one. It's like, no, 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 no. The attorney said, you have to pick a picture. Then we have the uh, Black Panthers. And I'm kind of just kind of jumping around. A.R. Chamberlain, who was the, the president at the time of the university, he and I were in a meeting with the Black Panthers. And I've got my camera and A.R.'s, you know, just got his paper. And what they had demanded of A.R. was that he go to the Mormon, because he was a Mormon. They said, you have to go to the Mormon church and get them to let blacks join the Mormon church. And A.R. is going, guys, I'm just a member of the church. I can't, you know, but. Um, All right. So since you brought up the old man fire, um, what's the most prominent memory that you have of that? It was a very horrid experience um, to see a building that was set by arson and destroyed um, this old building. I left my girlfriends and went over and took my cameras and that and shot the first wall collapsing and then through the whole fire. Um, and it was, 
as, as a new photographer, it was very challenging to get different pictures. You're kind of limited to how close you can get because the firemen were keeping you, you know, like 100 yards away. So you're using a, you know, a 200 and 300 millimeter lens, you know, so you can get in close. One of the shots that we did was of the firemen in a ladder truck pumping water. Um, several of the pictures getting the flames coming out of the roof. In the, and it had like, I, if I remember right, it was like the old red tiles, you know, on the roofs. But I got the flames coming out between the tiles. Um, and trying to stay as close as possible, but avoiding the firemen and the police. It was a very interesting evening from the perspective of watching something burn and recording it. And then even better when we did the addition on Old Main to have all the pictures that were mine. How did you balance your identity as a student and a collegiate photographer when you were photographing and reporting on major campus events? I'm going to kind of give you an example. When I was doing pictures of the sorority queen, and then I went to the editor and said, hey, how about if I just go around and take pictures of different women and then you can pick whoever you want. And it got to a point that I couldn't get any candid shots because as soon as you showed up with your camera, there were several girls going, who's that jerk? You know, to, to the other girls. So they're going, eh, don't worry about it. He's just going to take our pictures. And who knows, you might see your picture in the newspaper tomorrow. But it got to a point that I couldn't get any candid shots. The academic, it didn't really affect my academics uh, because most of my... I'd set up most of my classes preferring to have early morning classes like eight, nine, 10. And then you have the rest of the day to do whatever. I, I think I ended up with probably my grade slipped probably my junior year, but I ended up with like a two seven or two eight final GPA. So the photography didn't really affect my grades. It gave me a lot of access to things that I never would have done or had access to if I had not been a photographer. How are members of student media treated when you were a part of Collegian? Did you, were you at all socially isolated by any means, um, not no. able to events, things like that? No. I didn't have any problem being accepted at events. And most people recognized that I would take enough time to get a good picture. You got to meet a lot of people from a lot of different lifestyles. And it was just a very interesting job. How does it feel to have been heavily involved in breaking news events with the collision that became part, like important parts of CSU's history? You know, I really didn't think about it at the time because I was so involved in taking the pictures, getting them developed, getting the editor to pick them and doing the best that I could to represent whatever the event was. What were your favorite events to photograph, do you think? I'd say sports. It was hard, well, two sports that were hard. Basketball and football were really easy to take pictures of. I mean, you just, you developed a sense of timing. I had a number of pictures that were published in the Rocky Mountain News and the Denver Post. In the uh, Fort Collins, Colorado, one, they had, I think, I can't remember whether we had eight. I got a lot of stuff published from sports. The Rocky Mountain News said, we need a picture of the quarterback throwing the ball and the receiver catching it. 
and then the referee signaling touchdown. I said, yeah, got all three of those. And it was, we had no motor drives at the time. It was just however fast you could work the shutter. Did you ever get anxious when preparing to go report on these major events? Um, I know that most journalists, especially earlier on in their careers, do get some anxiety going around with a camera and just showing up at events where people might not be totally comfortable with that. What were your feelings? I didn't have any problem with it. Like I said, with the sorority and the women and the sports, the sports and stuff were easy. And when you went to demonstrations or riots or, you know, the meeting with the Black Panthers or whatever, it was just a job. You know, and I just kind of looked at it as that. It's like you just went and you took the pictures and then you went back and kind of went on. So I, I wasn't anxious about that at all. Of course, the only, the only time I was anxious was that one of the reporters was supposed to have shown up to a meeting, and all I was there to do was to take pictures. So I didn't take any notes or anything. I came back and they said, oh, the reporter didn't show up, so you need to give us uh, five inches of you know, copy. <laughs> and it's like, I don't have the foggiest clue what to tell you. I wasn't a reporter. I did a journalist reporter. I was just a photographer. And if you wanted anything else, since I was just, I looked at myself just as a photographer and not as a, as a reporter. Okay. So they were very disappointed in me <laughs> with that, with that particular meeting. I just want to know if there's anything you'd like to add, things that you'd like to say about your time at the Collegian, the events you covered, anything like that. I set out to do my best to record the event so that it was represented fairly. Support for KCSU comes from Noko Nosh, a locally owned restaurant delivery service owned and operated by local business owners in Fort Collins. Learn more about Noko Nosh's downloadable app by visiting nokonosh.com. You just heard from Bill Lane about his time at CSU and the Rocky Mountain Collegian in the 70s. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to National News Highlights for the Rocky Mountain Review. The, the election this Tuesday has not been called so far as of 6 p.m., Votes are still currently being counted in several swing states with estimates for the election ending anywhere from tomorrow to in multiple weeks. According to Jess Eng and three other reporters at National Public Radio, all states are over halfway done with counting ballots. Nevada, Pennsylvania, Georgia, and North Carolina are the swing states in which races still have not been called. So far, neither candidate has received the winning number of 270 electoral votes. Current President Donald Trump has 214 electoral votes, and former Vice President Joe Biden has 264, meaning that Biden would need six votes in order to win the election, and Trump would need 56 votes as of 515 Thursday. 
Protests over ballot counting have started around the nation's cities. According to Mike Baker and two other reporters of the New York Times, demonstrators gathered on Wednesday night to fight for all ballots to be counted. In Phoenix, supporters of, pres- of the president gathered outside of the county recorder's office where votes were being counted. Some of the individuals in this protest were armed, and there were unbacked claims spread that the election official for that county was not counting some ballots, which was the cause of the protest. In cities like Portland, protests focused on racial justice and were also intended to send a message about the importance of counting every vote in this election. In some cities, the National Guard and law enforcement were deployed as a result of the protests. President Donald Trump has falsely claimed victory in the 2020 presidential race, saying, quote, if you look at the legal votes, I win very easily, end quote. According to Alana Wise from NPR, Trump has repeatedly made statements critical of mail-in voting due to his concerns for fraud and has accused Democrats of fraud because of this. His campaign has filed lawsuits in several states, including Nevada, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Lawsuits against Nevada and Michigan were already dismissed by state courts. Stepping back from the election, a judge handling George Floyd's case is rejecting Derek Chauvin's request to move the trial date. Chauvin was a police officer with the Minneapolis Police Department and was recorded kneeling on Floyd's neck, causing him to suffocate. He is currently facing a second-degree murder charge and requested to move the case due to pretrial publicity, making it difficult to find an unbiased jury. Moving on to the results from the Senate race in, in Colorado, Colorado will be now represented in this U.S. Senate by John Hickenlooper, who unseated incumbent Cory Gardner this Tuesday. That's all for national news. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins on 90.5 FM. Up next, you can hear, you're going to hear an interview with Samantha Yee, but first, we'll be right back. Are you a local musician looking for better exposure? Want to be heard by thousands of listeners and have your work featured on iTunes? KCSU is searching for music for our podcasts and airplay, and we want to hear from you. Show us what you got! Go to kcsufm.com or email us at production at kcsufm.com for more information. All right, now for Samantha Yee from the Collegians piece. We did a Q&A with her about the Hughes Stadium development. Now let's hear that. All right, would you mind introducing yourself for me? Cool, I'm Samantha Yee, a news reporter with the Rocky Mountain Collegian. Can you describe some of the setbacks and controversies associated with the Hughes site development? Yeah, so the Hughes site started uh, last year. The city council started the rezoning of the Hughes site, which is able to determine what kind of housing that they are able to build there so either single family homes or like apartment buildings and the density of that development and what council was recommended to do by staff was to recommend something around 550 homes and citizens that spoke to council really did not like that and the council's decision was set back repeatedly to affirm like that new rezoning recommended by staff when citizens uh, uh, filed ethic complaints against two of the members 
Mayor Wade Troxell and Councilmember Christian Stevens, who both work at CSU, claiming that because they work at CSU, then they have a vested interest to approve what CSU might like for the Hughes development, which is, of course, higher density housing. So after, um, I think, three ethics complaints by the end, the zoning, the rezoning of it failed on a tie. So that just ended up pushing the Hughes development into like unknown territory and CSU decided to step back in to talk directly with council. Uh, when did the review process move back into the hands of CSU's Board of Governors? So that would be sometime in the summer after the city council, they decided because the vote had failed that they would look into what citizens had like asked them to do, which is to have the city purchase the Hughes development. And that ended up falling through apparently because, um, well, the city didn't offer the same amount that Lennar had, the, the housing developers. So CSU's Board of Governors decided not to go with that and to push forward with the housing development that they had wanted to do with Lennar. Uh, what is the new development plan, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, so that one is looking at 500 to 600 plus homes on the site, including like a childcare center and a transfer transit center that will allow people who live there to go to and from CSU and of course the rest of the city, which CSU of course is really focusing on this because they want a portion of that housing to be for employees that's affordable. So th that's what CSU says is a really big concern of theirs as far as getting this development through. Um, what are some concerns that residents have about the new development? Well, you know, the Hughes development site is like right below the Aggie A, and in that area, it's been mostly open space aside from when it was like a stadium and parking lot there. But developing that whole lot, of course, would change the landscape a lot, obviously, adding so much housing and citizen residents, they just I mean, they prefer open space, like, overwhelmingly when th they talk to council and stuff. So, yeah, just any kind of housing development has not been preferred. And CSU says they're trying to mitigate any concerns with that by having, like, green zone buffers and, like, 50% green space in their new development. So we'll see how that goes when they unveil even more detailed plans. Is there anything you'd like to add about this story or about the collegian in general? I just think it's been a very interesting saga to see this story develop because it hasn't certainly hasn't taken the directions that you would expect from the z from the decision to start zoning to all the ethics complaints that really shows you know what local government can do. All right, thank you so much for your time. You just heard from Samantha Yee of the Collegian. I'm Kota Babcock, and this is the COVID-19 update for November 5th. Colorado State University has a cumulative COVID-19 case count of 741. November 2nd saw the most cases in nearly a month, and this could continue to grow due to Halloween gatherings over the weekend. Larimer County remains in the high-risk category, with over 170 new positive cases in the past 24 hours. Every day in the past two weeks has seen over 15 new COVID cases. One day in the past two weeks has seen 10, over 10% 10 of tests come back positive, and Larimer County's 14-day case rate is 338 per 100,000 residents. There are 50 COVID patients currently in the hospital, up from the early to mid-30s on Tuesday. 
Hospitals are at 82% capacity and ICU utilization is at 65%. Larimer County is moving from safer at home level one to safer at home level two as a result of rising case rates within the county over the past two past few weeks. Level one refers to the cautious level, while level two refers to the concern level on the meter, in which the county needs to become more careful due to rising hospitalization and case rates. The state of Colorado currently has over 117,000 cases of COVID-19 and over 2,100 deaths as a result of the virus. There are over 1,300 outbreaks across the state, with nearly 600 of them confirmed to be active. Most outbreaks have 10 or fewer reported cases, but El Paso County Jail reports nearly 800 cases. Outbreaks are present in nearly 600 schools, jails, health facilities, and businesses across Colorado. CU Boulder's outbreak is associated with over 1,000... 800 cases, and the University of Denver is associated with 301 cases. Correctional facilities are seeing some of the most significant outbreaks in the state, with the Van Cis Simone Detention Center in Denver seeing 742 cases, the Sterling Correctional Facility seeing 706 cases, and the Fremont Correctional Facility seeing 583 cases. These case numbers are cumulative, so these reports do not mean that the cases are all brand new to these facilities. There are over 9.6 million cases of COVID-19 in the United States and nearly 240,000 deaths. Yesterday, cases increased by a record-breaking 107,000, and a, that is a 51% increase over the past two weeks. Deaths increased by over 1,600, a 21% uh, a increase in the past two weeks. Information for this segment is gathered from Colorado State University, Larimer County, the Denver Post, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, and the New York Times. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Now we'll be right back. This is Ryan from Smile Smile, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU. Hello there. I'm Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU. Sometimes we need to get a little bit of the weird. So here's some of the weirdest stories I've heard from around the world today. A North Dakota state legislature candidate who died from COVID-19 appears to have won his election, according to Harmet Cower at CNN. David Andall, a North Dakota businessman and rancher, died October 5th after a battle with COVID-19, and about a month later, he appears to have been elected to the state house. The Republican candidate is projected to win one of two seats from among four candidates in the race for North Dakota's 8th district. He received about 35.53% of the total votes, according to unofficial results from the state. Fellow GOP candidate Dave Narig is projected to win the other seat with about 40.72% of the vote. Andal's death in October had prompted questions about what would happen were he to win the election in November. North Dakota's attorney general issued an opinion stating that the situation would be treated just as an official's decision to step down or retire, meaning that the district's Republican Party would appoint a representative to fill his vacant seat. 
His family announced that he had died from complications due to COVID-19 in a statement on his campaign's Facebook page last month. He was 55. Andal's death comes as North Dakota has been dealing with an alarming number of coronavirus cases. Cases in the state have been steadily climbing since mid-August, and on Tuesday, North Dakota uh, reached a peak in its seven-day average of new daily cases. Andal's posthumous election victory, which, while relatively rare, is not unheard of. Dennis Hoff, a politician from Nevada, also won a race for the state legislature in 2018 midterm elections, about three weeks after he died. Since 2000, at least five other candidates have also won elections after dying. The Centers for Disease Control are now saying that cruise ships can set sail again, but will still not be allowed to have passengers on board, according to Georgia Slater at Health.com. On Friday, the health organization released an updated conditional sailing order, lifting their no-sail ban and replacing it with a list of new health protocols and a framework of actionable items for cruises to follow beginning November 1st. The order, which applies to ships with the capacity to carry at least 250 passengers and travel in U.S. waters, details how cruise lines should take a phased approach for the safe and responsible re- resumption of passenger cruises, making it clear that no passenger Passengers will be allowed to sail at this time. During initial phases, the CDC is requiring that all cruise companies have additional testing and social distancing requirements before they can move forward and operate mock voyages. Ships will then sail on simulated voyages with volunteers pretending to be passengers to, quote, test cruise ship operators' ability to mitigate COVID-19 risk, end quote, according to the release. Cruise companies who are able to meet these requirements and obtain proper certification will then be on track to, quote, return to passenger voyages in a manner that mitigates COVID-19 risk among passengers, crew members, and communities, end quote. The CDC first issued a no-sale order on March 14th and was intended to stay in place for 30 days. At the time... Several cruise ships across the world had become sources of major coronavirus outbreaks. Voters in New Jersey just passed legislation to authorize the legal use of recreational marijuana. And now it seems that some people are getting ready to partake in the once-illegal pastime, based on a unique spike of Google searches, according to Mary Claire Patton at KSAT News. By looking at the Google Analytics, KSAT News noted a nearly 3,000% jump in the search term how to roll a joint on Tuesday evening as Garden State residents saw the ballot measure to legally smoke, grow, and sell sell marijuana pass. In fact, three of the top five Google searches in New Jersey as of Wednesday morning all relate to legalization of marijuana vote for the state, with the searches being when will weed be legal New Jersey and simply New Jersey weed 20. The other two are election results for the presidential race. Marijuana for recreational use is already legal in 11 states, including California, Oregon, Washington, Alaska, Nevada, Michigan, Colorado, Illinois, Vermont, Massachusetts, and Maine. Arizona, Montana, and South Dakota all also voted to legalize recreational marijuana in the 2020 election. That's all the weird news for today. Again, I'm Ivy Winfrey. And you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Mayor Wade Troxell, and I'm also on the faculty here at Colorado State University in mechanical engineering. And I've been serving on city council for the last 10 years and last two years as mayor and just reelected. Well, I grew up in Fort Collins and KCSU is always uh, a part of my repertoire. One of the things I like most about KCSU is eclecticism. 
great music, all different kinds of music, but also news programming and sports as well. You know, I think publicly supported radio is great. I think I listen to a lot of different kinds of radio, but KCSU has been a part of my listening for my entire life, literally. KCSU is special because, one, I think it's an important aspect of Colorado State University for students and learning, and its business model has changed over the years. But it's also always been an important part of a student life at Colorado State University, always been in my memory here within the Lori Student Center. It's moved around a little bit within the Lori Student Center, but KCSU has always been an integral to Colorado State University. And now for the weather. Today, the weather was pretty warm and dry with a high of 73 and a low of 40. Winds reaching about six miles per hour and some clear, scunny, <laughs> clear sunny skies. Tomorrow, we can expect it to start cooling down for the weekend with clouds starting to show up and the high cooling down to 70 degrees below a 46. Winds about the same as today. Saturday, humidity will be rising a bit, while temperatures go down even more to 60 deg 67 degrees for the high and 43 for the low. Sunday, we have about a 20% chance of precipitation with 16 per mile per hour winds and temperatures ranging from 31 to 54 degrees. Monday, we can expect snow and cold weather with a high of 42 and a low of 23 degrees, winds reaching 8 miles per hour. Tuesday, we'll have about the same temperatures and winds, but just a 10% chance of snow and some sun in the sky. For Wednesday... You'll have to tune in this Tuesday from 4 to 5 p.m. on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins for the Rocky Mountain Review. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank Thomas Taylor, Asher Korn, Stephanie Keel, Hannah Copeland, Addison Lambert, Griffin Ham, Jonathan Gillum, Ben Kruger, Ben Haney, Dixon Lawson, Peter Walk, Taylor Sandal, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Ivy. And finally, we couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you. And with that, we'll see you next time.